foremost, kick and welcome to another episode of American Reef. Today's topic, how to keep a successful reef aquarium without a sump. For all the new hobbyists, right, let's kind of take care of some definitions first. Number one, what is a sump? Basically, a sump is a tank that is added to your main display um, to basically increase water volume and kind of hold all the filtration. Um, a lot of times, you'll see this sump, for example, it'll be underneath a stand. You know, sometimes it can be plumbed in parallel. I mean, there are many places where you can put it, but ultimately, you know, it's going to increase your water volume in your tank, and then what it's going to do is it'll allow you to put more kind of equipment in your tank. Now, some people will take a sump and also convert and make a refugium out of it or a section of it, or they'll add a separate compartment, which is a refugium. Now, a refugium, for example, is usually some sort of live uh, bio load in your, we'll call it filtration path, that basically is a refuge for kind of like, we'll call it copepods, amphipods, uh, macroalgaes, things of that nature, right? And you may be asking yourself, what are those kind of things? Um, basically, it's life. It's sea life that we'll, we'll use as, we'll call it filtration and food in your system um, that, again, needs to kind of be not picked on 24-7 by kind of predators, so to speak. And so when you look at it, kind of you'll have a main display tank, a sump, and maybe a refugium. And then basically if you're looking from a plumbing loop, it basically is all connected together. Um, that you feed the tank, the tank water gets filtered, uh, whatever doesn't get filtered, maybe we'll go through a refugium, and the refugium again, you know, that will feed the, the life in that refugium. It'll go back up into the display tank until it kind of gets completely filtered out. Um, and, and that, in general, is what a sump is and the purpose of a sump. Now, when you have a sump, for example, it provides a lot of benefits, right? Meaning, most of us who have been in the hobby for a while will recommend you get a sump if you can have a sump when you're setting up a reef tank. Three main reasons. Number one, as I said, it's going to add water volume. And when you add water volume, what that means is basically the water is going to be more stable or your parameters are going to be more stable in a tank with more water than less water. A simple example is temperature, right? It will take longer for more water to heat up or cool down. Just common sense, right? The second thing are kind of like aesthetics, meaning you have this idea of setting up a slice of the ocean. And if you have all these boxes and filters and things of that nature in your main display tank, it kind of takes away from that. So what you do is you take and move all the life support and filtration down into this sump, right? And you move it kind of out of the way and it takes that picture and makes it more realistic. Thirdly, the thing that most aquarists love to do is feed the fish, feed the coral, feed the tank. We bombard tanks with food because we want to make sure everything's strong and healthy. Um, well, when we do that, basically having a sump allows you to kind of, we'll call supersize the filtration. 
Um, and when I say supersized the filtration, basically we need to have water conditions such that the water is pristine, right? Um, certain corals need very clean water. Um, that and they need stable water, right? So when you add this sump with all the extra filtration, et cetera, it allows you to accomplish that goal. Now with that being said, sometimes you just don't have the space. Right? Sometimes you don't have the knowledge, etc. And ultimately, keeping a sumpless system is a little bit harder than keeping a system with a sump. Um, and so for me, I always wanted to do a video series where we did a sumpless system, but what I wanted to do is make sure we had somebody who had a lot of knowledge, for example, while we were setting this up. Because again, you, you'll need those fundamentals right, that you've learned through normal reef keeping to kind of set up a sumpless system. Well, in today's video, we have an expert that has tons of experience, right? And basically, his name is Roger Vitko, and for all intents and purposes, he is Tunzi USA. Now, Roger has owned aquarium stores, reef tanks, you know, with, with reef tanks in his store, etc. Um, he's owned planet tanks, reef tanks, etc. So he's got decades of experience, right? And basically, what he has done is he's a, basically allowed us to share his time well, he set up a 200-ish gallon peninsula system that doesn't have a sump. And his main reasoning, he doesn't have a sump, he doesn't have the space. And this video, number one, is long, right? And I mean, I think it's about an hour and 20, an hour and 30 minutes. And the main reason for that is because Roger has already made some mistakes that he plans on sharing in this video. As well, some things went exactly like he wanted to. Right, and so again, this will be the first of a multi-part series that will last years, right, on the American Reef Channel. And, um, and, and again, the idea is to help that new hobbyist not make the same mistakes as, you know, most of us have made along the way without kind of the proper education, etc. Now, that being said, let's kind of hear what Roger has to say. And remember, if you're looking for American Reef's HPD or the American Reef Nori, you can find it over at AmericanReef.com. Hi, Roger. Hey, Russ. How are you doing? Good, sir. How about yourself? Going okay. Happy to be back in the reef world. So. Yes. Yeah, so let's set that up a little bit, right? In other words, you've been outside the reef world, right, supplying all the great Tunzi products, and you decided to actually start your tank back up. Or I shouldn't say I, start back up, start, start again, right? Well, I've always had an aquarium, but I, I took a break from reef tanks and was doing a freshwater plant tank for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, now I've got kids and they're getting older. They wanted a reef tank. So uh, for a while we talked about it and it's, you know, my wife would say, oh, well, you just have all this stuff from work and it can't be that expensive. I'm like, yeah, hold on. I don't think you understand. <laughs> It's like live rock, all the stuff I'm going to need, lights. We don't have big lights for tanks like this. All that stuff's going to cost some real money. <laughs> so, so, yeah, now I'm up and running, and I've had, oh, I, I'm going on four months now with salt water in the tank, three months with rock, and uh, making progress. Got some frags, got some fish. So Okay, so all that time you were doing the plan the tank right did you ever have yeah. a bug to kind of like you know always have the reef tank again and this was just an opportunity that you seized or what was the what was the kind of i i would think about it but 
you know, the thing I really enjoy about freshwater is that you can spawn the fish and there's a lot of fish that are a unique challenge. I was trying to breed Altum angel fish, mm-hmm. which is a real challenge. And what finally triggered switching was one by one, they either committed suicide or murdered each other. They, they would get into these courtship battles and then one would go sailing out of the tank and that was it, done, dried up on the floor. Or they would just beat each other to a pulp and, you know, no fins, no way to get food. So I I ended up with a pair at the end and I thought, we're finally getting somewhere. And I started with eight fish. Mm -hmm. So after having a pair and then the male killed the female, I was like, okay, we're done. Moving on to something else now. (laughs) So... And, and now, did you actually have the planted side of it, or were you more the? Yeah, yeah, it was all, all aquascaped, and I ha- I had some really neat plants, and you know, I was I was happy with the tank, right. but but it it did create some unique challenges to switch that over to a reef because it was built in, and uh, it, it, it's a peninsula tank that divided the dining room area from the front entry, and the stand was low, so it was designed to be viewed from the dining room table. So when I got into it, I was like, well, I, I have no real way to put a sump in here. I mean, I a sump that would fit in here isn't going to have a, a good safety volume. And then I started thinking, well, I could redo this, I could redo that. And it was finally decided I would just use in-tank filtration equipment and plumb up a closed loop to run my chiller in a UV sterilizer. And that's what I ended up doing. So, yeah, when you and I talk, that's the thing that you know. That's why I said, man, this is perfect as far as an episode goes. Because when new hobbyists first get in, into it, they don't know the whole idea of sumps, and it becomes real complicated. Instead of just getting one tank and setting it up. So to me, that's the that's the goal. I figure I wanted to pick your brain there to say, yeah, okay, now that you just experienced it, what are the do's? What are the don'ts? And uh, you know, what maybe things that you wish you would have done or you have on your agenda to do, let's put it that way. I mean, I would say it's always better to have a sump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, going sumpless is pretty popular in Europe, and that my understanding is that mainly has to do with most people live in what we'd consider a duplex or a quad. You have, you may even own your your share, but bottom line is your tank overflows, your sump overflows, you're paying for your neighbor's damage too. So that that kind of prohibits a lot of people from going to a sump-based system. And for me, I, I would like to have a sump just because, as you know, there's always another gadget you want to add that this might make this easier, this could simplify that. And when you have an in-tank system, you don't have that freedom to, you're working in a fairly compact space. Anything you put in is something you're going to be looking at. So you you have a little less freedom to, to add new equipment. Sure, right. And your skimmer is going to be smaller. You know, you just can't have as, as powerful of equipment as you would have if you had a sum. So. Sure. And, okay, so let's rewind a little bit. Let's What size tank do you have? The 215. Basically, it's uh, a tall 180, six foot long, two foot wide, 28 inches tall. And as far as the height, like for me, with the first tall tank that I got after about here, I was wishing it was lower, right? Because when you're in there mucking around. 
That's that's true. I mean, it's uh, you know, I'm basically up to my armpit when I'm reaching the bottom, and uh, I have to get a short stool to get all the way to the bottom of the tank. I ended up, you know, I bought that tank. I had it custom made, knowing I wanted to have altums, and that with how tall they are, I mean, you're dealing with a fish that fully developed fins is 20 inches tall. You need a tall tank, so that was that was the reason I went with that tank. I do run the water level probably about an inch and a half, two inches from the top. So I really only have about, I, th I measured before the last water change because I was calculating how much water I was taking out. But I think I, I had like 27 inches of water and 26 and a half, 27 inches of water in there. So. Sure, sure. And okay, so with that tank, it, so it's not plumbed for a sump, it's just a square glass box kind of thing, right? Right. It, it was, it is a AGE tank. It has that PVC bottom. Mm -hmm. So I drilled for two one inch bulkheads and put a closed loop. It's powered by a little Iwaki 20 RLXT. I have a half horsepower chiller and a 54 watt UV. And, uh, I went with the, I went with that setup just because my past experience was, uh, in Texas, temperature is always a really hard thing to maintain. So I, I went with the, um, with the low, having a chiller but i'm finding with the more modern equipment we've come a long way in 10 years heat is i haven't seen the tank get past 76 as it is so right yeah it's but. funny because a lot of the we'll say the older tanks like if you look at sanjay's last time we had talked if he had it to do it now he would not ever install another closed loop system period right yeah, just because what he was concerned about was the pumps actually leaking, not the, you know, he's had experiences where the, you know, the PVC's fine, right? And the glue's yeah. are fine, but the bearings in the pumps will go. The next thing you know, things are leaking. So he's kind of like, you know, in his next tank, so to speak, that's one of those things where he and Mike actually probably is going to avoid the whole thing. Huh? Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I, I went with an Iwaki because I've used them for years for, right transferring water from big tanks and they seem like bulletproof pumps but i suppose there's always that risk so yeah it's it's one of those things where um to your point you, you never know what's happening until something else you know until it actually happens yeah, yeah now his weren't uh i walk it that were leaking his were basically the dark pumps if i'm not mistaken Right. Okay. And don't get me wrong. Yeah, and those are a direct drive. I think the Iwaki are a magnetic drive. So yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and and again, his tank, those pumps were old too. I mean, I, I want to yeah. say they were like 10, 15 years old kind of thing. So it's not like you know, like they would fail right away. Right. So you have glass box, and it's basically plumbed with a chiller. Um, did you have a chiller, or did you size it, or what happened there? I, I looked around and, you know, years ago, what I would have gone with was a, a, a Tico chiller. Um, they always seem pretty good to me. Um, but the uh, when I looked around now, everything was, you know, with risk of starting the whole political thing. Everything was made in China. So I was like, I don't want that because, you know, I just don't know that I trust the cooling system made in China. So, right. I, I searched around, I found this small company called Penguin Chillers out of Florida, and it, it looks 
like they take a window unit and convert it to a chiller, but it was very economical, half horsepower chiller. I, I think it was like $500 controller and everything. <laughs> so I'm giving that a try. So far it's worked well. I mean, I, I'm trying to keep my temperature at 75. Um, just going to my experience that, that if you keep things cooler, you slow everything down, algae problems happen slower, everything slows down you don't have to feed as much your fish stay fat because they're metabolizing slower right and uh you know i'm sure your corals grow slower and everything else that's good goes slower but the bad things go slower too right, so. <laughs> right exactly you know it, it which reminds me a point um i don't think many people know your history as far as you used to own a pet store right a fish store. yeah i'll just yeah. give a, a quick kind of overview there as well I mean, I started in, in the, I've been keeping aquariums since I was eight years old. Um, so it's, it's something I've done just about forever. Um, in 98, I started a local fish store in Austin. And then I, uh, after that, I started selling Tunzi. We were buying it from JP Burleson, who was the distributor at the time. And when he quit with Tunzi, I, I wrote to him, I was like, you know, we sold a lot of this stuff, we need parts. And they offered to sell to me direct from Germany. And I, you know, as a local fish store, I was like, oh, hold on, this sounds complicated, but it, it worked out. And then over the years, uh, it, they were selling directly to a few places and then they need, they realized they needed support and help with repairs and I've always had a pretty good mechanical ability. So I was doing a lot of the repairs for just about everyone. They would say, you know, just, we'll have this customer send it to you. Let us know what parts you need. We'll send them to you. And, and that's, that's how I got started. And they took me on as the distributors. So. And so now how long did you have your fish store before you kind of went over to the dark side, so to speak? Well, <laughs> I had the fish store from 98 to, I guess it was 2003. And I started Tunzi in 2001. So there was an overlap where I was doing both for a while. Sure, sure. So. And, and now when you were doing this tank, right? Yeah. Since you had a store, I'm assuming your store, you had the big central kind of systems, right? With a manifold that would kind of... Um, we did. And I mean, we had display tanks too. I mean, I, I, we actually had quite a few nice display tanks. Um, and the store is still open. I mean, so, you know, I don't own it anymore or right. run it. Anymore. It's still there and they have some beautiful display tanks. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've got a fair amount of experience, but you know, I, I, I've had the same experience as anyone else who's done this for a while does you, you have that tank that was looking great and is totally overrun with bryopsis. And <laughs> after a year of fighting it, you just throw in the towel and give up and, you know, then you try again and then you have the next tank that Aptasia have taken over the whole thing and you give that one up. And <laughs> so. It, well, it, it's funny because to your point, everybody, it happens to everybody the same way. right? Yeah. But you know, that things have come a long way. I mean, the main thing I'm excited about is there's pros and cons, but I mean, you almost don't see real live rock anymore. And I ended up going with the real reef rock in my tank. And there's things to be said for having real live rock. You know, I mean, you, you always got a few cool corals that came in on it, but you got tons of pests. I mean, you would be pulling fuzzy bear crabs and 
mantis shrimp out of that thing for years to come. Right. (laughs) And you always had aptasia and nuisance algaes that came in and you generally got a coral or a sponge that was just a big pain in the butt. And you were like, I wish this thing never came in my tank. Right. But now you get this fairly sterile rock that doesn't have a lot on it, but you don't have any of those pests to deal with. So, right. right. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, right? Because um, I want to say two or three videos ago, that was one of the topics that actually Mike Paletta talked about when he did his kind of European trip where he and about, I want to say, three or four other kind of, uh, we'll say, experienced hobbyists, they set up tanks with, we'll call it sterilized rock. And none of them had a whole lot of success with them. And they were saying that it was because of the lack of the diversity and the bacteria that you get from live rock, right, yeah. is, is one of the reasons why they believe that they didn't have the success that they wanted to see in their particular, uh, again, they were all SPS kind of dominated tanks starting up. So it'll be interesting on your tank because, again, it's all sterile rock, so it'll be kind of cool to track that a little bit, at least through months. I mean, I, the real reef I wouldn't consider sterile. I mean, it's, it's you know, I, I'm sure it has some bacterial life in that, but it's it's not, you don't have the diversity of all the corals and forams and everything else that would come on real live rock. So... Well, we'll see. I'm not too worried about the uh, bacterial diversity or, you know, that biological filtration diversity. But I, I, you know, you do miss the cool critters that you got for free. You know, the always seem to get Blue Ridge on wild rock and, you know, different coral colonies that just came in with it. So, right, right. That and the, <clears throat> the thing that I always liked were the different, uh, you know, I'll call it sponges for the lack of a better yeah. word kind of stuff so uh either way you got your you know your rock you've got a chiller on that bad boy and and then as far as um the we'll call it the filtration goes um you decided to go with everything in tank because you don't have a song and yeah i i have a a 9012 dc skimmer which is the the strongest in tank skimmer we make um it's i think it's it's reasonable for the tank. I mean, I'm, I'm skimming about, I, I probably remove 500 milliliters of skimmate every four days or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I've got a 3168 filter and I change that filter cartridge every week. It tends to get pretty clogged up. Um, and then I've got two 3170 calcium reactors running in tandem. Those are only rated to about 120 gallons, so I needed two of them, um, and we'll see. I'm I'm somewhat hopeful that with my bio load and running Kalkwasser, maybe I could scale it back to one, right? And that would simplify things, and I could free up that space to maybe put a wave box or something else in there. Sure, but that's that's how I have it set sure. up now. Sure. And um, as far as uh, circulation, what do you got? Two, two of the Stream 3 6150s, and uh, I'm, I'm running those. I, you'll see in the video that there's, I've got them both on the ones towards the back, and you know it's a peninsula, so it's the, the short end. Sure. And they're aimed down the side of the tank. I'm alternating them so I get basically a clockwise and a counterclockwise dryer flow. They alternate every six hours. 
So, and with again that kind of uh, we'll say that jar flow concept, did that obviously um, determine or I would say influence how you stacked your rock? I mean, I I had an idea in mind when I was going to set up this tank that I wanted to have this column of rock on one end and i like i call them the tortilla chip corals just montipora capricornis uh yellow turban area you know turban area um i like that plating growth structure and i also like those corals because they tend to grow fast and you're, you're not just you know right. come on do something you know <laughs> some of these corals you put them in there and they're just looks the same as it did two months ago <laughs> <laughs> right. Whereas those tend to tend to grow fast and, and at least, you know, with plants and a lot of other things, if things grow fast, you, you're pulling nutrients out of the water. I mean, you, yeah, you're pulling out your calcium and magnesium, but you're also getting the nutrients out of the water. And that kind of helps control pests like algae and that if things are growing and doing their thing. So I, I've got that structure set up and then the far end of the tank I've got set up as a turtle grass bed. And the idea there was that that would be sort of a, a scrubber uh, nutrient export system. Um, we'll see how it does. I mean, I kind of have the bare minimum from what I've read. I've got about a four inch deep sand bed and I enriched it with some miracle mud. If I had it to do over, I'd probably put much more miracle mud in there. Um, but so far, they're. Yeah. Now, the little pods I got are leafing out and starting to do something, so I think it'll work. And um, in the middle of that turtle grass bed, I'll have a, a ritter eye anemone. So. And now, as far as like the maintenance on that deep sand bed, are you going to be doing any? Or are you just going to kind of let it go and then? I think once that turtle grass gets going, it, it'll be fairly maintenance free. I mean, I did a water change last week and I kind of just lightly probed over the surface with the, with the hose, you know, the, um, right. The siphon end and, you know, lifted up maybe a little bit, but I didn't really see any detritus piling up in there. And, uh, I've got four, I've got two regular, uh, the regular skunk cleaners, uh -huh. a shrimp, and then I've got two of the, the fire shrimp. So pretty much when food goes in, those things are buzzing around and grabbing any little bit that would get under the rocks. So Right. And now is your vision to have kind of that, that grass bed, so to speak, just lush all through yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Well, through, through that half. I, I want to... I've got that half with four inch deep and then that tapers down to just about an inch deep where the rock structure is. And I, I mean, I know that that's a, you know, bare bottom has become more of the in thing. When I got out of this, I tried my first bare bottom tank yep. and I didn't find, I was like, okay, in theory, this is cleaner, but all that poop that piles up everywhere i would bet you if you had a living sand bed a lot of it would get digested and instead it's just floating around and you can never get all of it it puddles up under some rock somewhere and no matter how much i would siphon and vacuum i had all kinds of methods to keep it clean i mean torrential flow i just was like i i think the sand is the right way to go so right. yeah I, i'm a big fan of sand beds just for the aesthetics of it right? yeah right i mean i just 
to me it looks better the contrast between the corals and the white sand and you know and it, it's funny because i've got all of them but i always gravitate to the deep sand so i'm i'm kind of on the same boat and especially you know again like we've seen the videos with mike and uh you know and again that sunlit tank <laughs> he's always adding different flow this that and the other and you know again it detritus and everything finds a way to tuck somewhere so, yeah no well i was i when i did that bare bottom i did the the white starboard and right you know i just would always have somewhere that would accumulate and you get in there with a siphon hose and get it but you know the that tank i remember i had a fox face and i had a, a, a tang and as you know they nip at the rock they eat little bits of gravel their poop doesn't come up too easy with the siphon hose <laughs> right so. You'd never get it all. So exactly, and this is, isn't it funny, right? The, it's a simple concept: keep solids in suspension. <laughs> but man, rough to implement. Okay, so back to the tank. So you've got this vision. You're going to have the grass bed on the one side. You've got your rockscape on the other, and you have kind of your plating corals or your tabling corals. Right? Are they going to be shooting out, or the, or are you going to have them encrusting? What's the vision there? I'm trying to avoid encrusting stuff. I want them growing out of the rock. Uh, in my experience with the encrusting corals, a lot of them tend to grow fast and overgrow their neighbors. So right. I'm trying to avoid that. Um, the only experience I've ever had negative with the plating type corals is that you, you'll eventually have a new plate pop up and shade the one below it. But then you just frag it and start over with that one. So that's... Yep. Uh, that's the way I plan to tackle that. And then they can also form really, sometimes you don't get a nice flat sheet. You get this kind of a cup and right. then it's a cup for detritus to pile up in and the bottom starts to grow algae or die. So Right, exactly. Yeah, it's one of the things where like down in um, Worldwide Corals, I don't know if you've ever been to their shop in Florida. No. But they're a big fan of, again, bare bottoms, but then what they do is they'll have encrusting corals, whether it's zoos or, you know, monies, whatever, and they'll have their bottom just kind of layered out. It's a really different look, and you also get, um, how can I say it? It adds a different dimension to the tanks as soon as you see them because you're kind of like, you look at that, and you're like, wow, I didn't realize I can get coral and color down there as well. Right, yeah, and it's just I've seen the photos of that. I, you know, I was doing some research because there's a few Capricornus or, or Montipora species that can do either encrust or form a, a, a plate. And so I was trying to learn about those. And that was some of the photos I came across was specifically their facilities. So. Right, right. Yeah. And they've, they've got uh, that newer tank in the back. It, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where you know, you can dream about it kind of thing. It's, and luckily they can set it up in the stores, but it gives you a lot of good ideas. You know? hmm. um, okay, so back to your tank. What's lighting this tank? Because I know when we had talked, you yeah. were talking about maybe using some skylights. What's, you know, what's going on there? I, I have two solar tubes because when it was set up as a plant tank, I, I thought that might be the ultimate answer. Um, it wasn't enough light. Right. So... They're, they're two 14-inch solar tubes. When you factor in cloudy days, storms, winter, shorter season, 
I ended up having to supplement it with LEDs. Um, for the reef tank, I went with four three uh, Kessel 360 WEs. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really liking them. I, I like that I can adjust the color temperature. Right. I don't. Um, I'm not a big fan of the super blue light, and for what I'm doing, the turtle grass need a more white light. Sure. So I probably have them tuned into what I call about a 12K. Mm -hmm. um, it's just slightly blue, and I'm pretty happy with that. It gives me some fluorescence from the corals, but turtle grass looks green and natural. It doesn't look... If you turn the lights really blue, it almost looks like brownish purple. It doesn't have that nice green lush look, so... Sure, sure. <clears throat> and what kind of photo period do you have? I, I'm... i Right now, I'm on nine hours a day. So, and I... It's 100, a, in, full person, you know, 100%? I've, I've got them at full power. Um, I haven't... I've had corals in there now for... Oh, about a month. The only one that uh, that seems like it doesn't necessarily like the light is uh, I've got a jawbreaker mushroom, and it's kind of I won't say it's suffering, but it's not really buoyant and full the way a mushroom should be. So I what I did for that is I I got a I found I I finally found a turban area you know. Back in the day, you, you've seen this, the Turbinary Arena Formis you used to see was like bright yellow. Yes. And now it's kind of a brownish color. And I found one that kind of had that yellow. And so I, I was like, you know, I've got this theory that the brown is from this blue light people use nowadays. And that if this was put back in white light, it would turn yellow again. We'll see. I mean, I remember there was a brown form as well. but Right. What you usually see people selling nowadays is brown with yellow polyps, and I have to wonder if that wasn't all yellow, right? And that lighting caused this change. So, with with your kind of the coral selection that you've got, we kind of touched on some of them a little bit. Uh, what do you have in there today? I I went to that uh, Marsh, uh, the the Houston Reef Club show. I I worked at. Uh, one of the local stores, FJW Aquariums, they had a booth and I manned their booth and sold tons of stuff. And mm -hmm. from him, I got a, a jawbreaker mushroom and a, um, you know, they got these fancy names nowadays, but it's basically a, a greenish blue digitata skeleton tissue with bright orange polyps. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't tell you what the fancy right. name is. Right. You know, I want that one. That was <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> and and then the uh, then from the guy next to him, uh, Coral Color Unlimited. I got uh, I got a a I think they no it's sun a sunrise Capricornus. Okay, I, I think it's orange with yellow polyps. I got a little frag of that, and I got a uh, frog spawn that's in in his tank. It was green with purple tips. I find it's only purple if I shift my light more to the blue. It's green with kind of a brownish tip, but right. it's really pretty and it's really full. And you know, the, there's a few LPS I want to have in there, and a frog spawns one of them. So, and then I got a, a red gonopora from them too. <clears throat> and now, what are the other frogs? Or I should say, what are the other LPS that you want to add to it? Well, from the from the local fish store, Aquatech, I got a pipe organ. Uh, 
but pipe organ's always been one of my favorites. I've usually done well with it. Um, and then I got, uh, well, I got a couple of Capricornus from him too, but as far as any other LPS, I mean, I'd like to get a, a Blastamusa Welsi, mm, but yeah. I've had good luck with those. They've grown well for me in the past and I like the, the structure of them, but I think that's about it. Yeah. So th then I was thinking I'd put some, um, uh, the name's escaping me, but the, the, they call them sun polyps, the, the non-photosynthetic corals. Right, right. Get a tubastria. Yep. Just get black and orange and yellow and glue them up under the rock. But I want to get to where I have the feeding worked out for them first. So. Right. Well, now, are you planning on feeding your Ghani? I, I've been adding uh, the... Um, HW uh, nano tip for it, mm -hmm. which is like an amino acid supplement. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've got some antheus in there right now. So I've been feeding fairly heavy to get them fattened up. So it, it does, you know, it inflates pretty fully. I mean, the polyps are really well extended and it looks good. Sure. But um, down the road, I'll get into dosing phytoplankton and that sort of thing. But right now we're, we're still in break in phase. <laughs> right. <clears throat> And and just to digress a little bit, now that you've spent some money, is your wife still on board with the reef tank concept? Yeah, yeah, she's, okay. uh, you know, I mean, she kind of, we had a discussion about, you know, I, I placed an order with uh, Jason Fox and, 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 you know, you've seen his website. It's easy to go nuts on there. Right, <laughs> but, right, right. <laughs> it's easy to drop paychecks. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, he had every kind of cap you could want, so you know it was right. It was easy to do, right? And and so that being said, okay, the I I'll say the spending on corals is going to be cut back a little bit. I mean, I'm pretty much the point now where it's let's let these corals grow out. We'll we'll go probably three four more months and start looking at if everything's looking good, putting in the ritter eye. Um, and getting a, I want a pair of black footed clownfish or rose skunks mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, we'll just be growing things out for a while. Sure. Uh, sure. Fish, I, I have the fish, you know, the fish that I want, I, or I've got a pair of band guys and I've got a few antheas. Um, I'd like to have a potter's angel, but they tend to need a lot of activity in the tank. Mm -hmm. And so that'll have to come later. I'd like a powder blue tang, but that has to be the last thing I add because they're aggressive. Right. Um, I'd like a couple of butterflies, but one of them I really want is a similar artist, and they tend to pick off polyps here and there. So right. I've got to have those SPS grown in enough that a polyp here or there isn't the end of it. So if right. they eat a few, it's so what if it's a huge 12-inch colony, but it's going to be a big problem if it's a little frags. So. Right, right, exactly. And, um, and so, so far it's been up for four months yeah. and, um, in general with your filtration and kind of the circulation, et cetera, um, are you finding it's able to maintain that balance? Meaning we're talking about a tank that doesn't have a sump with all the big oversized everything else, right? I mean, it's like anything else. I've, it's been, you know, a debugging experience. I mean, I had, uh, 
you know, the closed loop through the chiller, I had a filter sponge on there that was too fine. Mm-hmm. And one day I came in, there was no flow. It had basically totally collapsed and, and that was it. So I, I had to fix that, got a new sponge for that that's coarser. Um, you know, I, the uh, skimmer, the skimmer is working well. I, I don't see any issues there, but I, I have a low pH. Our house was remodeled about 10 years ago. And so it has the sprayed foam insulation. It's really sealed up like most of these more modern houses. And, you know, you got four people, two cats, two dogs. That's a lot of CO2, plus everything's gas, gas cooking. Um, so I'm going to put a fresh air source. I'm going to use an air pump. And I, you know, I'll, I'll probably get that done over the weekend. But right now my pH hovers between about 7.95 and 8.05. Mm-hmm. And maybe I can get it up to 8.1 if I just added some buffer. Sure. Um, uh, so I'm going to try that and yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> tweaking the, tweaking the hardware right now, but I, I find that overall the flow is good mm-hmm. uh, light. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the light. I did tweak the photo period at first. I was running about a 10 and a half hour photo period and that was more for my convenience. So I could see it before I left sure. for, yeah. it for a while when I got home. Um, but I've started having, I got this algae that came in on the turtle grass and it's these little clearish brown tufts it, it forms almost like you would swear it was derbasia or, or bryopsis if it mm-hmm. was green but it's it's clearish with brown roots maybe a slight brown tinge and at first i kind of dismissed it as oh it's some bacterial film right. on the dying leaves and then it started moving over to the rocks so right i'm gonna have to figure out a remedy for that. And that might just be time. I mean, you know, if you read the old uh, Fossa and Nielsen books, they used to say for about two years, you're just going through one algae cycle after another, and then you finally hit your stride. So, right. Right. Yeah. And I've got probably three experienced hobbyists that all set up new tanks and they're probably a year and a half into them. And it's, it is still, you know, yeah. with the algaes. Although to to your earlier comment to the the photo period, right? They will manipulate that a little bit, and it kind of manages some of that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I'm I'm hoping if I can just get it under control and then find something that'll eat this stuff because I've never encountered this algae before, and right now I just have a 25 trochus in there, so I might have to experiment with some other snails and maybe even try a some sort of herbivorous fish. I mean, coal tangs tend to eat just about any of that stuff, but. Right, right. That and, you know, uh, you know, it's so funny between those and the dog faced puffers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, if it's a pest or a grass, well, usually one of, one of those two kind of know, right? Yeah. Now, uh, do you have kind of a cleanup crew in there? Right now, just those trochus and the shrimp. Okay. Uh, I, I've, kind of sworn off crabs for this tank because my experience is even the most benign hermit crab eventually is like hey that snail has a nice looking shell i want that shell right (laughs) so you end up losing your snails and they just they're always you know they're clumsy they knock over the new frag you put in and it's just like nah i really want to avoid having any crabs in there right (laughs) and uh so you're at four months now 
Yeah. If we fast forward, kind of, we'll say a year from now. Yeah. Right? Um, what do you envision changing on your tank? The anemone should be in. The clownfish should be in. I might have the Potter's Angel if if I come up with some. Right now, you know, I have three Antheas, two Bang guys. I don't think that's a sufficient dither to make them happy. Right. So whether I add some firefish or more Antheas, I don't know, but I'll have to have something to, and you know, then the clownfish would be in there too. And then otherwise just the corals I've got or, or have on order would be growing out. Um, and that's probably about it. What about hardware wise? Anything new you want to add there? I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe the one calcium reactor would be able to keep up. Mm-hmm. And I'm hopeful that we'll have some sort of bio pellet reactor or something coming out that I could put in place of the one calcium reactor and help with the filtration. Mm-hmm. I'll have the fresh air intake set up. Um, I've given some thought to UV, but or I'm sorry, ozone. Mm-hmm. But I, it would be difficult to implement without having a sump. Right. And I, I'm also concerned with just past experience using ozone. I've used it to beat algae problems and it works really well. But, you know, if, if you've used it, you know, when you overdosed it and you walk into that room and it's an instant migraine, yep. I, I don't want to deal with that. I mean, it, it just is right hard to really regulate. And when you get a big whiff, it's like just instantly this throbbing migraine headache. Right. <laughs> the, and yeah, I mean, right now, you know, we're, I'd mentioned bio pellets and that's right now I'm trying the, I'm, since I set up my tank, I've been using, there was an article by uh, Murray Camp and, um, uh, I can't believe I forgot it. Coral, mm-hmm. Coral Man. It was probably four or five years ago, but he had this vodka dosing method. Mm-hmm. So in my Osmolator Reservoir, I'm dosing his vodka vinegar mix. And that was one of the things that led me to think that this stringy stuff was a bacterial film because I, I was having like just this slime of bacteria coating the glass really quick. And, uh, but that just wipes off. I mean, it would just come off as like this clear sheet. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for some new way, some new cheat like everyone is that would just make things hum along with no problem. So good luck with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Cause as soon as I think I've met, I'm there, something happens. Always. Yeah. Well, that's always been my experience too, but I, <laughs> I am amazed with how far things have come. You know, I, I've got, uh, I, it, it's it's really fun to be back in. I mean, I, I ordered some neat equipment that wasn't tons of equipment, but still fun to use. I mean, I got that uh, that test kit from Premium Aquatics that um, I dip, mm-hmm. and and that's despite the learning curve and learning. You know, you're so used to calcium being an ion and magnesium being an ion and this is calcium carbonate and magnesium carbonate so you'd get these you know it first started as like 1100 calcium this thing's totally out of whack it's, <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then once you realize, oh no, it's measuring this, divide by, okay. And, and actually in the little app, it does it for you if you just keep scrolling through, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so two things, you know, that remind me of. Number one, I was gonna ask, where did you get most of your stuff, right? I mean, I, I mean local fish store, a lot, most of it's tons of equipment. Mm -hmm. but I got my chiller from that, that small company in Florida, it was Penguin Chillers. And then I got, uh, oh, I got my heater and that test set from Jason over at Premium. And I got uh, my Iwaki and the UV from Bulk Reef Supply. I got a screen top coming from them. I, you know, I used a lot of different vendors for, right. for doing stuff. Right. <clears throat> and, um, you know, if you kind of had to summarize why you went with like Bulk Reef and Premium, because yeah. I'm trying to load this question because I always tell my viewers why they should try it, but tell yeah. me why you tried it. Well, I mean, they're, they're both, you know, they both sell tons of equipment. They take good care of me, so I should take care of them. Sure. And then on top of that, I've known them for a long time and they're good guys. So Exactly. <laughs> That's what I always say. Just good, honest guys, period. Right. Been around forever. Right. So good. Good deal. And, um, as far as uh, the uh, the net that you're gonna put on top of that, because you said you got yeah. those coming in, um, you going super fine. What's what size? Of the quarter screen? inch. Quarter. Yeah, I, I I don't know that I needed the eighth, and I thought that would block more light. So right. you know, I know they say it's ninety nine percent transmission, but I could just see if you had this very fine mesh that. You'd get some water beads up there, and they would kind of stick. And the quarter, I think, would be better. Sure. And uh, you know, the one nice thing I with keeping the tank that cold, there's hardly any evaporation. I lose about a half gallon, three quarter gallon a day. So you know, I never thought about that. That's you're exactly right because it's colder, right? It doesn't yeah. evaporate. So, so okay. Now, what do you do for the auto top-offs? If you evaporate that, do you have an osmolator on there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I don't remember. Yeah, the osmolators, the optic sensor clips into the back of the filter, mm -hmm. and the float switch is off to the side. Um, I have, you know, just on its own magnet holder. And then I have for the, um, you know, I've got that 7,000 smart controller on there, too. So I've got temperature and pH monitored. Um, those are all on the back wall, too, the probe, so... Yeah, so let's let's talk about that a little bit, right? Because a lot of people don't know that you that Tunzi actually has a controller. So yeah. go over a little bit what you're using it for and where you kind of see that going down the road. Well, I've got my two pumps hooked up to it, and they're in interval mode, so that one basically one's on and, and stays at fifty percent. The other one pulses between fifty and hundred on the other side. Six hours later, they switch. Then on on the um, control portion of it. I've got three switched outlets and a solenoid. And so the solenoids for the CO2 for the calcium reactor, that comes on anytime the tank pH goes above. I, I had it 8.05, but with the depressed pH, I've brought it up to 8.1, which means it almost never runs. But I'm going, once I fix the air pump issue, bring in fresh air, I think that'll, that'll let me run it more and I can bring up or bring down that pH where it starts dosing CO2. Um, then the uh, chillers on there and the heater, and I have the temperature set at 75 with a one degree differential. 
So essentially, once it gets down to 74.5, the heater kicks on. Once it gets up to 75.5, the chiller turns on. It keeps it in a pretty tight range. Mm -hmm. so. And do you have to do any calibration for the temperature probe? Temperature, I didn't have to do any calibration. I, I was surprised to find out it was only... The chiller has its own controller, which I, I'm basically bypassing. Yeah. But if it if the Tunzi controller says it's seventy five point five, the chiller will say it's seventy five point six. So, and I have an old fashioned glass hydrometer that I use to do my um, specific gravity measurements, and it pretty accurately ma you know matches the temperature that's on that. So sure. <clears throat> which begs me the next question: Are you using HW salt, or what kind of salt are you using? Yeah, I'm using the HW reefer. And I'm, I'm using uh, trace tip one and two and uh, nano tip. So. And why don't you go over those just in case the, the viewers don't know what they are. One, one of trace tip, I, you know, I, I really, it's, they're, they're a little vague about which one's which, but basically one is going to be like all of your um, anions. So like all of your um, iodine, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Is going to be all of the the cations, so it's your strontium and the trace elements of that. Anything that they keep them separated so that they they don't react in the bottle. You add like 1.5 milliliters per 25 gallons. I think it is every other day. Every day, it, I think the bottle says every day. I'm doing it every other day. I usually with supplements follow a rule of doing half of what they say. So. Sure, sure. Um, and then the the Nano tip is an amino acid vitamin food for the corals, and that for the whole tank I put in like six milliliters every other day. So, and then as far as water changes, yeah, right. What are you doing there? I set up a, basically a fifty-gallon trash can to be my water change station, and I've done one water change so far. I've kind of set as a target in my mind that I would change 15 to 20% a month. Mm -hmm. so. And um, when you are changing that water, do you have any kind of special, you know, like pump kind of get up going? Or are you just doing an old fashioned, put the hose in? And <clears throat> well, what I, you know, I found that salt water really needs to mix for a good long while. And ideally it's aerated. Right. So I have an old 9430 skimmer pump, a needle wheel pump, and I hooked a huge air hose up to it so it comes out the top of the bucket and I throw it in there and I let that run for a whole day. Sure. And so I'm churning in all this air. It's a needle wheel skimmer pump. And then that same pump, I take the air hose off, I thread in a three-quarter inch hose adapter and pump it into the tank. There you go. Yeah, I mean, my main understanding of it is it's just to, to get the carbonic equilibrium right. I mean, you, you've got carbonate and bicarbonates in the salt. You need to get the right ratio of CO2, get everything balanced out. There's some reactions that have to occur with CO2 to, to bring everything in line. And if you don't mix it up and aerate it well, the other thing you can have is that, you know, you thought it was this salinity, but down on the bottom, it's even denser, and you end up with adding some really dense uh, salt water. You end up with a dead sea instead of the Red Sea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, and so, again, your goal is 10 to 15% uh, a month. 
So you yeah. take you, so well fifteen no fifteen to twenty. Okay, fifteen to twenty percent a month, and um, and so in that tank then, um, you've done it one time so far out of yeah. four months. What, 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 you just didn't have time. Well, I the first month had it had nothing in it but water. <laughs> the second month it had nothing in it but rock and and gravel. So I mean we're really only at about six weeks with life in the tanks. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did you end up cycling the rock or cycling the tank and all that sort of stuff? I mean, how did you go about that? I I just you know I bought that real reef rock. I put it in there. I let it run for a while that way. I did add a little bit of live sand, just the pre-bagged stuff. Um, you know, for the most part, I figured sitting there that long, those bacteria are pretty much ubiquitous. I mean, they, they're going to settle where they find a habitat that they're happy in. And, you know, I know no one thinks of bang guys as cycling fish, but with 215 gallons of water, two bang guys is not much of a load, so. Right, right. And um, I was going to say, as far as kind of the bang guys, did they, when they were going through it, did they even kind of flinch? Because normally. I, I never, I checked and never saw the ammonia go up. I never saw any, right. any sort of spike. I mean, it, it just was, I think, just low, low. The rock had the bacteria on it, the sand. You know, I, I think that also just it probably was already seeded with the bacteria just from sitting there for a month. So Sure, sure. And now tell everybody why you use Bengai instead of like a damsel, for example. Because I didn't want a jerk fish in there that I had to net out. So <laughs> That's the perfect adjective. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a few, you know, night green chromis, but right. they they I don't know that a green chromis is any tougher than a bang guy. So right. Uh, and then there's you know there's a few damsels that are more reasonably behaved, but I just didn't want them in my tank. Period. So I was like, you know, <laughs> got to find a way around doing this that way. <laughs> right. I mean, there's you know people do mollies and that sort of thing, but I I when you've done it a, a while, you kind of know what the limit is. And as long as you go slow and you have a big volume of water, things sure. should generally work out. So. Sure, sure. Now, as far as kind of the things that you're testing for, how often are you testing and what are you testing for? Every week, and I test uh, alkalinity. Um, pH is on the on the smart controller, so I don't really mess with that. Right. Um I check the phosphate, nitrate, magnesium, and calcium. And other than the calcium reactors, you're not you're not doing calc yet. I, I do, yeah. Oh, I, I actually I think I, you know as I spoke to you about, I screwed up and overdosed my tank, and so I ended up with a KH of seventeen because I kept seeing this low pH. I was like, you know, I I'll just keep adding a little more caulk, and that'll bring it up. And it does, but, you know, it was binding up all that free CO2, and then you end up with a KH of 17, and then <laughs> your calcium and magnesium sink, and that was the primary reason for the water change was to bring that back in line, and I've got it back in line now, so. And, okay, and so when that spiked, how long did it take you to kind of drop it down to what you thought were kind of acceptable levels? 
I mean, that one water change, I mean, I tried, you know, we discussed, I, I'd emailed you about yeah. what you could do and, and we talked about dosing vinegar. I tried that. I, I got nervous to add more than a few tablespoons of vinegar because I'm thinking, you know, this is also an organic, so right. creating some decomposition here too. So right. So I, uh, I I dosed a few tablespoons of vinegar that only dropped it to 16.5. And that's when I resigned to, we're going to have to do a water change to fix this. And so water change and uh, now a whole jar of, of, um, Seachem magnesium mm -hmm. and we're we're back in business and you're back we're about 12 and a half kh now and the magnesium i actually checked it yesterday that i've gotten it up to about 1280 so it's been good calcium's at 420 so we're, we're good there and so the whole time though that the time that spanned we're talking seven days ish 10 days ish something like that from it was perfect. Whoops. And then now it's close. Yeah. To yeah. Probably about, I'd, I'd say actually more like about 12 days. Okay. Cause I, I was like, we way overshot here. Let's uh, stop the Colquaster dosing and shut off the calcium reactor and see if we can't just let things drift down. But without the big bio load, there's not a lot of acids being produced to bring right. the down so right, right and then i had the idea well i'll just add more calcium and magnesium and i'll precipitate it out <laughs> but that you just get nowhere you're adding all this stuff and just creating snowstorms and not right. really too far so right exactly so then yeah you have your four month old tank now and you kind of have a vision of of where you're doing it um but let's talk a little bit about like when you were preparing for that tank, for example, there was a lot of work that you had to do. Yeah. I remember that, like the wall, cause you had all your insides. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd actually forgotten about it. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. That was uh, when, uh, when I set up, you know, my old tank, everything was tonsy, but it was, the stuff was so old. I mean, I, I was surprised. Like I pulled, when I pulled that stuff out, the manufacturer dates on it was like 1994. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, this was pretty old equipment and everything was mounted with those clamp holders. Mm -hmm. And I had just set up a board on the back edge of the tank and used stainless steel screws to fasten all these rails with all the equipment hanging off of it. Well, the new stuff, everything's magnets and there's no option for those rails. So I was like, how am I going to do this? I mean, it's flush up against the wall. I've got no room to put a magnet back there. So I pulled the tank back, cut out the sheetrock, and then I, um, I made a, a panel, a, a half-inch piece of plywood, and I drilled holes for every magnet holder and got them all where I wanted them and then put it in the wall um, and then pushed the tank back and everything's exactly how I wanted it. I, I did run into issues with that though. I had, uh, you know, despite my best efforts, I had magnets out of alignment that, that didn't, uh, the polarity was the opposite of what I right. needed. So that was a big pain. I had to take that down and redo that. And then the uh, osmolator, you know, I'm always warning people, well, you can't have magnet holders too close to the float switch because it's a magnetic switch. Right. Fair enough. First time I hook it up, alarms blaring and it's, you know, the magnets directly activated it. So I had to set that up on its own, being in the wall there next to all those other magnets. There's just no way it could work. So, 
<clears throat> so, you know, to me, that that's that point where, so you have a peninsula tank, but yeah. you've got a, basically a solid wall behind it, and you don't have a sump. So what are your options? And I thought the way that you did that was a creative option. I mean, I just... Yeah, but it's it's it was kind of funny because like all all my years of doing this, when you know people come to me with these kinds of problems, like, don't don't do that. You know, it's like it, don't build the pump in, don't build. You know, because then someday you're going to change your mind and you're stuck with what you got. And and or you know maybe the design. You know, people used to do these built-in wave boxes. They'd have a tank custom order, custom made, and then fit the have the tank builder bore a hole right. just the size of the pump and that was always my worst fear it's like what if the next generation of pump they decide to add like one or two millimeters to this pump to outlet and it doesn't work sure enough that's what happened so you know it's <laughs> i try i try to always avoid things where it's like now this is permanent but it's not it's not really permanent but i mean as far as trying to redo those magnets or anything if the equipment change if the next generation has the magnets in a different position I've got a heck of a lot of work. Okay. Um, meaning, like you mentioned, you have a filter in there that is not a skimmer. So if I'm a right. new guy, I'm thinking, why do I have a filter? What, what's the rationale there? I mean, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need a filter. I I like the um, I like our filters because the, you know, in the old days, if you had a tank that was uh, you go way back, you remember the old Vortex Diatom filters? Yes. If you just wanted to polish your water, so. We have this cartridge that's like a, a pretty dense winding of this fine floss, and it filters almost as well as the diatom filter. So if you do that sort of, you know, every now and again, dust off your rock or right. just stir things up, you can get that right out. If I had, you know, another precipitation reaction and had that snowstorm, that filter actually ends up looking like a cake of cement because it's it's sucked all that in and, and has it on there. So it's it's just something that's nice to have. I mean, uh, if you wanted to run carbon, I mean, given the latest stuff on head and right. lateral line erosion, I, I probably wouldn't run carbon, but I might want to run phosphate remover or something else. I've got a place to put it. And not having a sump, I needed somewhere that if I wanted to run a media, I had a place to do it. Okay. So that was that was the primary rationale on that. Plus, it does my surface skimming, the the ninety twelve surface skims as well. But not having that overflow with all that water going through it, you've got to have some way to get the surface scum off and some way to export the waste. Sure, sure, that makes sense. And okay, so what was the filter, and what are the different sizes that you have? There's the 3161 is is the little nano one. That's kind of the the sister of the 9001 skimmer. Um, 3162 or 3163 is 
up to about 65 gallons. That's kind of the partner for the 9004 skimmer. And then the 9012 is with the 3168. So, and in the middle range, we make two because one uses a stream pump as its, as its power to suck the water through. And that one is the stream version for if that would suffice to do the flow as well. And otherwise there's one with a conventional pump, which is actually the better filter because with the stream pump, you have to have a bypass to get enough water through the propeller. But. Got it. And so in the filter, you have the cartridges that you don't have to mess around filling them, right? In other words, they can there's, there's either, I mean, that filter can be configured a few different ways. It has a filter bell in it, and those cartridges just go in there. Those cartridges unravel, and they're just like a, oh, like a five-foot-long sheet of floss. Mm-hmm. Um, you can throw it in the washing machine. You know, I'll usually wait till I got about a half dozen of them, throw them in there, wash them, wind them back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use loose filter. There's an optional grid in there that you can put sponges and loose floss and do whatever you want. Or there's cartridges that go in the little filter bell that you can just pour carbon in. And I kind of prefer the cartridges just because they're simple and less mess than trying to scoop out something out of a box and Sure. So. sure. And now how often are you going to end up like changing that cartridge? Did you say once a week? Yeah, once a week. Okay. So what you do is you have multiple cartridges. Keep a, I mean, they come in a pack of five. One came with a filter. I got a half dozen of them mm-hmm. on hand. Once I've got, once I'm down to the last one, run them in the wash. Um, usually after you wash them four or five times, they start getting kind of ratty and you got to change them. So. Sure. And now when you run through the wash, no detergent, just plain water. I put OxyClean in there. Okay. Uh, my understanding is OxyClean is just like a calcium percarbonate or something. It's it's a fairly mundane, you know, sure. reasonably safe product. And I, after all the rinse cycles and that, I think it's probably pretty inert. So. Perfect. And um, when you put it on, you don't have any kind of you know, again, dechlor or water treatment, anything that you're soaking it in. You just take it out, let it dry, go. Put it yeah. Good. And then for the skimmer, right, again, you you chose that because it was the biggest one you had available for an in-tank right. skimmer, right? Yeah. Okay. And um, what other sizes do you have there? Well, the 9,001 is up to about uh, 30 gallons, mm-hmm. 35. 9,004 is up to about 65. Uh, the 9012 is up to about 300. Um, the DC, all of those come with a DC pump option. The The DC pumps boost that up a little bit. So it's, I think with a DC pump, it's like 42, 72, and 350. <laughs> but you know, those ratings are based on more like a Fowler tank. Sure. You cut off 40% for LPS and 60% for SPS. So it, the skimmer, honestly, is probably a little bit underrated for what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But the hope is that with the turtle grass bed, and I've also got some mangroves growing out the top, and the filter and water changes, that our overall nutrient export will be plenty sure so sure yeah and you'll find out right i mean yeah 
And and if it's not, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. It's the biggest tank skimmer there is. Have less nutrient, right? <laughs> um, and then from a circulation standpoint, okay, you've got the two stream threes in there going again, uh, we'll say uh, with that gyre effect and then changing it. Um, it, do you at any point like even mix that up and just blast everything or? I have a storm mode set for once a day. Okay. So once a day, they'll both kind of kick back and forth and both kick up to a surge of a hundred percent. Um, and that, that kind of flushes things out. I've considered adding another pump on the far end, but <laughs> with that peninsula style, I've, I've got an idea for how I could do it. Uh, probably a 60-55 and one of the little nano stream rocks up towards the top opposite mm -hmm. where Grove Rock is. And then just kind of neatly lay the cable around the edge of the tank. Sure. But I'd like to avoid it if I can. So. Yeah, makes sense. I feel the flow is enough for the most part. But what will really be the deciding factor is when the anemone's in. If he's happy and stays put, we'll know. Sure. Yeah, and if he's not, he'll know relatively quick too. <laughs> so now. So now. As far as, as kind far of as wrapping this segment up, um, I figure we can do kind of, you know, we'll do progression. In other words, every six months to a year, depending on, you know, your schedule and your, your availability. Um, but like as far as kind of words of wisdom to the new hobbyist, meaning okay. I, I'm a new hobbyist and um, I want to do a peninsula take like Roger, right? And I, I have a solid wall on the one side, right? What are yeah. the kind of top two or three things that you've learned through this that says, if I could do it again differently, this is what I would do? Well, the one thing, you know, as a plant tank, I needed two plugs. You know, I had a heater and a filter. Right. And that was a big obstacle because I laid this thing out as a freshwater tank. And so I had to add more plugs and... I had a, a system that I was pretty elegant at the time where I had a, a conduit I built into the wall when the wall was built that was an inch and a quarter diameter. And I couldn't do more because inch and a quarter, by the time you have the elbow on there, that's the width of a two by four. There's nothing more you could do. So the, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's the, you need a lot of outlets for a marine aquarium. I mean, I, right now I've got four, power supplies for four Kessel lights. I've got the chiller, I've got the heater, I've got, you know, the, uh, the um, calcium reactors, the filter, the skimmer, the two pumps. You really start adding up a lot of outlets. The osmolator needs one, the, the um, controller needs one. So I had to add additional outlets. And, you know, when you do the job I do, one thing in the aquarium industry if a house catches on fire and has an aquarium, everybody, every manufacturer's stuff was on that is getting a fax from that lawyer for from that insurance company. Prove you didn't do this. And, you know, you you have to submit all your manuals and everything else and you see all the pictures and it can be downright horrifying. And in my experience, every single one has been a six strip that got wet. So you you know, that was one of my main things. You'll see in, in the video, I have those splash-proof enclosures above the tank. 
that made it easy for me to plug in my my filter and skimmer. And, you know, my wife is like, oh, that's an eyesore. You got these splash proof enclosures up there. I was like, yeah, but I'm looking at it as if the worst happens, I can yank that plug out of there real fast. And it's reasonably watertight GFI outlet. Um, and they're, they're proper outlets. They're not six strips that, that could easily be water damaged or something like that. So, right. Okay. So then for the new reefer, you're saying beef up the power and make sure it's safe power. Right. Yeah. And, and just keep cables tidy. You know, I mean, that's the other thing doing the job I do. A lot of the stuff I get back that's supposedly broken, it got wet, you know, external controller stuff that gets wet and keep your cables tidied up. Don't let controllers just sit on the floor, mount them. Um, you know, you can see in my setup, I'm still working on that. You get so many cables that it gets really hard, you know, how do I want the spaghetti to run this? <laughs> So, right. so there's only so much you can do, but you can at least kind of keep them tidy and, and separated to where when you need to unplug something, if something does go wrong, you can access it, you know where it is. So Funny because, again, I, I made it a point to do exactly what you just said, but over on like the, the one tank that I've got, it, it's scary, meaning I've got outlets on the walls, but... I can't trace anything if I really wanted to. And, uh, you know, I have the, the, the controllers to be able to manage that, but it, it happens, right? So I can appreciate that comment. Yeah. Okay, so power's the one thing. What's the second thing? I mean, you know, ideally you would, you would start from scratch and you'd have a, a good you'd have a sump, you'd have all the equipment you need. I, I would definitely say don't skimp on equipment. Try to, you know, a lot of people do that. You buy what's cheapest rather than what's best. And then when it all comes down, you end up buying the best one anyway. So the money you spent on the cheapest one was just trash. So, right. So let's talk, uh, about, let's talk about that for a second, because to me, like in my sump, like I actually took some of the in-tank skimmers and used those because I didn't have a big sum. And I was really happy with that, kind of that investment protection kind of thing, right? Yeah, you can definitely do that. I mean, like on, um, we actually, we just got them in. There's for the 9004 skimmer, we actually make now a little sump kit. And for any of the others, you just have to build up a partition so the water level's at the right depth and you can use the in-tank skimmer and filter and sump if you wanted to. Um, you know, realistically, you probably wouldn't necessarily want to use the filter because if you had a sump, you could put in a filter bag or something else. But. Sure, sure. Okay, so let me ask you a question. If you decide to get a sump, are you going right. to take that equipment that you've got there and drop it down in there? Or are you going to kind of beef up the skimmer and do like like the Tim I, I would probably I would probably use a bigger skimmer if I had yeah. a sump. I, I would really have liked to have used like a 9415 or a 9430, mm -hmm. but it just wouldn't fit. Right. I mean, without a brand new cabinet and changing the layout of everything, I couldn't do it. Right. Well, and, and that that's, again, for the new hobbyists, something to be said for being practical. Right. right. 
So what you're doing is you're saying, that's not practical, so I'll do this. And by the same way, you're designing your tank to kind of accommodate that. Right. And I mean, you're always going to have limits. I mean, there's even in, you know, when I look at my livestock choices, you know, boy, it'd be really nice to have a Christmas worm rock. That's always been one of my favorite right. corals. But I'm going to have a butterfly. So, you know, I'll just have a brown porites after a while. <laughs> right. <laughs> no point. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, that's, it's funny because uh, like with Sanjay, same thing where he always liked butterflies, but he couldn't put them in the big tank. Yeah. So he's like, I'm setting up a butterfly tank, right? You've got monies and butterfly, nothing else. All yeah. kind of monies, all kind of butterflies. You know, it was a, and it's a good concept, right? Meaning, yeah. yeah. Can't be all things to all people, so you can juggle. Okay, so that's the second item. What's the third item? Uh, I always pick three just because, to me, we always, you know, there's, there's always three lessons to be learned, so to speak. I mean, I, I would just, um, I think more than anything, to have fun with it. I mean, right. what, what, what tended to drive me out of my interest in the hobby, I mean, you I think when it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You always come back to it and you'll always, maybe you're in limp mode with a beta bowl, but it's never totally gone. Right. So <clears throat> when you make it into a, it's, I was having this discussion with one of my employees here. He said, you know, people that are, are good at, at reef tanks or good at aquariums in general, they look at it like a science project. That, that was his analogy. And I was like, you know, you're right. I mean, I, it is kind of like, if I could just tweak this this way, or if I could make this reaction happen, then then right. this will all fall into line, you know, and you're, you're kind of, right. it's, a, it's a combination of Rube Goldberg devices and, and uh, you know, mad scientist chemistry experiments. But it's, it's true, but keep it fun. Because when it becomes unfun and, and you know, the main thing that that always became a chore to me before was water testing. Sure. You would I mean, and I know people like this, that they're just fanatical about it. They're they're sending off to labs and they're doing this and that. And they're thinking if I just, you know, it's like, nah, I don't know. You know, why not just that salt manufacturer's been nailing this for 50 years. You <laughs> probably just put their salt in your tank and call it good, you know. Right. Do some water changes, watch, watch what you add. Right. And keep a reasonable test schedule. But I think some people get kind of OCD with the testing and then you're spending so much money on test kits and time. And unless you like staring at test tubes, that's probably going to be pretty boring. So I, uh, yeah, it, for me, chemical reactions that don't blow up just aren't a lot of fun. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So that's going to be the title of this video. We're, we're going to say chemical reactions that don't blow up aren't fun. Try reefing. <laughs> but the, you know, and that, that goes for everything. I mean, you get frustrated, you hit, you're right. going to probably hit some nuisance algae, something, and it's not, not a reflection on you doing something wrong or what if, or it just par for the course. Right. So... Right. And everybody goes through it, right? So to yeah. your point. Well, good. That's a good way to leave it, right? Meaning have fun with the hobby because, you know, why else are you doing it? It's a hobby. Yeah. 
And what we'll do then is we will revisit this tank in, we'll say, about six months to a year, depending on your schedule. And kind of roll from there. I'd say, you know, it might be worth maybe revisiting re, uh, it. I, I could just keep you updated, but, you know, if in four or five months the corals are starting to grow in and look good and no algae problems or a catastrophe happens either way, I mean, huh? it might be worth checking it out then, so... Yeah, it's one of those things where the thing that I've kind of figured out through doing these things since 2007 is people like to see tank progression. In other words, how fast are my corals supposed to grow? Because they're not growing yeah. fast enough, and I can watch this guys over the years. Right? Um, when bad things happen, right, they love that. And I don't know why, but except for the, wow, i got to make sure I don't make the same mistake they did. Yeah. But those two, for whatever reason, tend to, I'll ha from a viewing standpoint, I'll get like quadruple the views of, you know, of those episodes. And they keep on coming, right? Meaning through the seven years. So I mean, the coral growth thing, you know, that's always, that, that's going to be interesting for me. Because last time I did this, frags were, you know, maybe your best friend gave you one. You didn't buy corals that way. You bought the big colony. <laughs> right, exactly. You bought something that's 6, 8, 10, 12. Right. And since corals grow kind of exponentially, you know, I can see going from this half-inch piece I get from Jason Fox to one inch is going to be like six months. <laughs> and then from one inch to two inch is going to be six months. But then once you get there, it's going to just, I mean, it takes no time for a cap this big to be this big. But. Right. <laughs> So, okay, so to your point, the addendum to the third item, have fun, be patient. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's probably, that actually should probably be the first thing, so. Yeah, yeah, be patient. Good things happen, don't happen quickly, right? No. <laughs> well, good deal. Thanks for spending the time, Roger. Appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you, Russ.